Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This gentleman just put together an unbelievable book, and you know he has some great stories. You know he has some great perspective for all these years of being on the New York scene and covering those great Yankee teams. We welcome in Peter Body from the New York Post and the author of The Big 50, The Men and moments that made the New York Yankees. Mr. Body, congratulations. How you doing, my friend? JJ, how you doing, man? Uh, thanks for that introduction. I don't know if I can live up to it now. Oh, I'm not worried about that. I can guarantee you will deliver, and I know for many of the audience, they can't wait to read the book. But before we get to all the pleasant stuff, before we get to all the happy stuff, obviously started off the week on a very, very sad note, the passing of Anthony Causey, who you knew quite well, from your days, not only just being at the New York Post, but your days covering New York sports. And, you know, Pete, unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet Anthony at the ballpark. But, you know, I read Mike Vaccaro's uh, tribute in New York Post. Uh, I saw Bruce Beck the other night. And it's amazing to me, Pete. I feel like I knew the guy, even though I didn't know him. So coming from someone who did, what is something you specifically would like to share about Anthony and what kind of guy he was? Well, I mean, obviously the the tributes the last couple of days have been have been really beautiful and touching, and you know all those things you mentioned. Um, it, it was a, it's it's really been a devastating couple of days for for not only those of us who who knew Anthony, uh, but uh, you know everyone who you know really came in contact with him. I mean, you see the outpouring of uh, of emotional reactions, not just from you know his coworkers and even people from other papers and and. Uh, you know, different media across New York. Um, but you look at the reaction to some of the pro athletes in the town. You saw Derek Jeter post a really nice thing about about Anthony, who who, uh, who probably his most iconic photo might be of Jeter walking down the runway at the old stadium and tapping the Joe DiMaggio sign. Um, you know, uh, Noah Syndergaard, Didi Gregorius, um, you know, uh, Justin Tucker, the Giants, uh, a lot of athletes in new york really you know had a had a really warm 
friendly relationship with Anthony. He was just that type of guy. Um, you know, it's, it's cliche sometimes to say, you know, you know, he was a better person even than, you know, than what he was at, at his, you know, at his job or whatever. But this, this, this man was, you know, for anybody who came in contact with him, they all, they all tell you the same thing. Every time you saw him, you felt better about your day. It's just, it's, it's just that simple. He, it wasn't just, you know, greeting with a smile and whatever, but just, he always had an anecdote. He always had a question about your kids. He would always be volunteering to come to your kids' little league games. I mean, I worked at the daily news for years opposite the guys at the post and you know, the same kind of things, you know, happened for, for for, for the people at the other papers, you know, the competing papers. He, um, Never heard anybody say a bad word about him. And you even saw, like, celebrities on uh, Celebrity Row, um, you know, from the Garden and uh, from Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, tweeting out these kind of great memories of Anthony. And, and it's amazing, too. Like, you saw he, um, his family uh, set up a GoFundMe page after he passed on Sunday. And in the first, like, two days, uh, the they had raised over $160,000 for his family. It just shows you kind of the impact that he had. There's even billboards um, that were put up uh, in New Jersey on the highways, uh, you know, in loving memory of Anthony. And it was just, I mean, it's really touching to see kind of all these, all these tributes in so many different ways. And, and uh, you know, my, my colleagues at the Post have, have written some really great stuff. You mentioned Mike Vaccaro. Um, there's just been, you know, like I said, it's, it's made a incredibly crushing couple of days. Um, you know, it's really turned it into a, a really touching tribute to, to the man that Anthony was. Pete, well said, my friend. And obviously this year and, you know, moving forward, you guys over at the Post and really all of us here in the New York sports community going to be dealing with heavy hearts, thoughts and prayers with the Kazi family and really anybody for that matter who's dealing with this just horrible, horrible virus. Now, listen, on a much lighter note, your wonderful book that just came out, as a guy who's been around New York sports a long time, a guy who's been around the New York Yankees a long time, you know, you've been covering this stuff, you've been writing about this stuff, but I always ask guys and gals who write a book and put together a book, what gave you the inspiration? So, Pete, what was it specifically that, like, gave you that thought in your mind that said, this is something I really want to do? Well, number one, I was out of work, so I definitely had some financial incentives. Well, there you go. I was going to say, money talks. I right, Peter Body, money always to, talks. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, I got, I got hired back at the Post uh, in October, but I, for mo- much of last year, I was, uh, I was out of work after having been uh, laid off in budget cuts at the Daily News. So, um, but, but this, uh, the Big 50 is a series that Triumph Books has done in the past with different teams, um, doing it for the Yankees, the 50 greatest uh men and moments in team history is a daunting challenge because let's face it just to narrow it down to 50 is a much bigger challenge than you would face with some other teams where you really probably had to stretch it out to find 50 moments or men that are worthy of, of, of their own chapters. So that was the toughest part for me was narrowing it down. Um, but it's, I, what I, what I set out to do, um, you know, from the time that the Yankees uh, traded for Babe Ruth in 1920 to this past season, 2020, um, it's really a full century of, of Yankee history. And, you know, we know how storied the franchise is, 27 championships, countless Hall of Famers. Um, so I, 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 you know, I whittled it down to 50. And how I did it was um, I, I put all of 
what I ended up doing was I put all of Babe Ruth's chapter, uh, feats and moments into one chapter. That's chapter one. Lou Gehrig has his own chapter, all of his moments in that chapter. Jeter, Mariano, DiMaggio, Mantle, et cetera, um, all get their own chapters. Some of the championship uh, teams, I had to kind of bunch a few together, like the, the, uh, the five-peat team from uh, 1949 to 1953. I made that one chapter and just kind of described those teams in that chapter, and that's how I did it. I also, I also from the beginning, knew that I wanted to do a chapter about George Costanza and uh, the Yankees' impact on the Seinfeld show. I got to speak to Larry David for the for the chapter, and it was really a big thrill for me. And uh, you know that that uh, that chapter ran as an excerpt in the Post on Sunday. Um, you probably can find it online. But um, you know, it was really a fun book to do. I got to talk to a lot of people. I didn't get everybody that I wanted, but. Um, I feel like I covered all the bases and I think fans, especially now with no baseball and uh, you know, who knows when it's going to start up again, hopefully not too long, uh, you know, down the road. But uh, I feel like, it, I feel like it can prov- provide a nice uh, diversion for people while they're in their houses. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's a pretty concise uh, compilation of all the great moments in Yankee history. Well, Pete, I'm fired up to hear about your conversation with Larry David, because as somebody who is sitting here watching Curb on a weekly basis, I I thought this season was just absolutely outstanding. I mean, it goes off the beaten path every which way. Larry David is a comedic genius, but his tribute of George Steinbrenner and his portrayal of George Steinbrenner on the show Seinfeld is off the charts. I mean, I think it's accurate. I think it's to a T. So when you sat down and had that conversation with Larry, I mean, what was that like? That must have been, I'm sure, at the thrill, but, like, what was, like, the lasting impression and the lasting image that you get from those couple of minutes you shared? I would say that Larry David, among celebrities, is one of the most diehard sports fans, you know, there are out there. Um, it's not just the Yankees. He's a big fan of the Jets and the Rangers. Um, but the Yankees was his first love. He grew up uh, in Sheepshead Bay in Brooklyn. He ended up, uh, even though a lot of his uh, – Neighborhood kids were Brooklyn Dodger fans. He was a uh, he was a Yankee fan. His older brother was a Yankee fan, so he became one. He was a huge fan of Mantle. Uh, we saw that in Seinfeld. Uh, George Costanza's character wanted to name his firstborn child Seven after Mickey Mantle. Um, you know, he, he uh, uh, Larry said that you know getting approval from George Steinbrenner was really kind of a daunting thing for for him and Jerry in the beginning. Um, George didn't know much about the show. He kind of thought they were making fun of him. Um, but George was quoted in the late nineties in, in a, in an article about the show, uh, saying that his grandchildren, uh, really kind of convinced him to do it. They thought it was a cooler thing that he, uh, was a character on Seinfeld than even, uh, than even owning the Yankees. So, um, uh, so Larry ended up, uh, Larry ended up doing the, doing the voice. Um, he said that he was one day, he was just kind of giving an example of what he thought George, George sounded like that kind of abrupt rambling staccato style that he had um and he, and he and he did the impersonation of what they should be looking for and jerry said to him you know what larry you should just do it it's perfect and uh and and ended up being they took it they took it to crazy levels as you saw talking about you know having george rambling on about calzones and you know singing pat benatar songs and whatever so i mean it became it really became a caricature of george but the family really loved it uh, i spoke to hal uh for a chapter on 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 him and him, you know, taking over from his father. Um, but he said about the Seinfeld thing that the family, the family really loved it. They, you know, and I know all the grandchildren definitely uh, really revere the fact that their grandfather was uh, lampooned on Seinfeld. 
So there was never a point, Pete, where Larry David heard from George Steinbrenner or somebody within the Yankees, you might have taken it a little bit too far with this particular bit or this particular scene. There was never any of that? He did not. Uh, George, uh, apparently his favorite episode was when he had to go to the, the parents' house of George Costanza and, and mistakenly tell them that, that George had died. Oh, that's um, one of my favorites. What a, what George, a great, George is and, dead. Call me back. <laughs> call me back. And and Frank Costanza, George's father, played by uh, played by Jerry Stiller, Ben's father in real life. Um, you know, has a great thing. Why? Well, you know, in, in, you know, as he's being told that his son supposedly is dead, he's he's railing on Steinbrenner for trading Jay Buhner. Um, so they, you know, they really they really made it a you know it was a perfect fit for what they wanted. It's funny because Jerry Seinfeld is obviously one of the probably the foremost celebrity Mets fan. But Larry says in the in the book um, that George was just the better was just the better fit. There were so many ways they could go with that character, and they knew it from the start. And really, they, you know, whether it was the appearances by Jeter and Bernie or Paul O'Neill or Buck Showalter, um, you know, it, it really the Yankees embraced it, and it, it really made for a, a, a great uh, plot line for that for what was probably the greatest sitcom of all time. We have Peter Boddy from the New York Post, the author of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Yankees. And, Pete, obviously you got a chance to spend a good amount of time with Bernie Williams on this book. And, you know, maybe it's our life in lockdown where I wake up and I spend way too much time on my phone and, quite frankly, way too much time on Twitter. But there's this, like, NYY Yankee throwback page that throws up, like, a clip of an old game, regular season, postseason, over and over again, and I didn't lose sight of this, but I think many of the young fans might lose sight of how significant and how important Bernie Williams was to those 1990s Yankee teams. And I know Steiner Sports, because they were still playing in 2009, you know, had that trademark of the core four and whatnot. I always look at it as the Fab Five, because to not include Bernie Williams, who was on the four championship teams and was really the one who started it all as far as the young player making his mark, sticking with the team. So guys like Jeter and Moe and Pettit and Posada had the chance to do so. I mean, you must have got some unbelievable stuff out of Bernie. It, it, it was, uh, you know, Bernie did, uh, along with uh, the actor Chad Palantari, did the forwards for the book, and Bernie was really into it. And he, um, you know, took, uh, took great pains to, you know, pour over every word that he, that he wrote in the forward. And, uh, you know, it, it being – being part of Yankee history, even though Bernie's kind of gone on to do some other things, some, some you know, accomplished great things in the music world. Um, he, he says, you know, I'm always going to, I know that I, I got this, all these chances because of my history with the Yankees. And you're right, JJ, he was kind of the guinea pig for the, for the, um, the players in the system, uh, you know, not, you know, being held onto and not, and given a chance rather than being traded, uh, while, uh, George Steinbrenner was suspended in the early nineties. Um, you know, Larry David talk, talked about in his chapter how, in, you know, in the 80s, it was so frustrating to be a Yankee fan as they traded away all their top prospects, even beyond Jay Buhner, you know, Jose Rio and Doug Drabeck and Willie McGee and Fred McGriff and just so many guys that you heard about in the minor leagues and they never got there. And when Stick Michael um, and and eventually Buck was the manager, um, they, they really gave Bernie a chance. And, you know, the Yankees traded – away Roberto Kelly to get Paul O'Neill and they held on to Bernie and they, I think they saw something in his, his raw talent, his switch hitting ability. Um, you know, the power came later, but I agree with you. I, I, to me, and that's what his chapter mostly is about is talking about the fact that 
everybody loves the core four and they deserve all the accolades they get, but Bernie should be part, every bit a part of that conversation when you talk about those 90s Yankee championship teams. Pete, now you look back on Derek Jeter, who obviously made his mark starting in 1996. He's on the team until 2014. And listen, I don't need to bore the audience with the resume, the laundry list, the moments, the plays. But, you know, now looking at Derek Jeter and, and thinking about his place in Yankee history, do you think he's going to have, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that sort of like DiMaggio effect? Because, you know, for so many guys with the Yankees, they're back all the time. You know, you see him at old-timers days. You see him here. You see him there. And I know Joe was a guy that back in the day you did see – but there was like this elder statesman role that DiMaggio had where you felt maybe the distance in many ways. Do you think we'll be looking at that with Derek Jeter because of you know his ownership with the Miami Marlins and kind of where he's at right now where it kind of feels like there might be a little bit of a disconnect between he and the franchise? It's really a fascinating thing to ponder because, because now that he's so involved with the, with the Marlins um, – He's, you know, he's come back a few times for different ceremonies, but um, I, I'm interested to see if he, when, if and when he starts coming back to old timers day. I know some guys sometimes resist because they don't want to think of themselves as old timers. Uh, but you're right, Jeter would be the DiMaggio, um, you know, getting introduced last every year. If you know, if he ever wants that to happen, um, Mariano obviously as well. He came back last year uh, with him going into the Hall of Fame. Um, but Jeter, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I don't think, I, I think he's so consumed and you, you know, he he throws himself so deeply into whatever he's doing. But I, I think he's so consumed with his ownership uh, and heading up the the baseball ops at the, with the Marlins that he's, um, he's really not, he's really not giving a ton of thought to coming back to Old Timers Day right now. Um, maybe that changes when he goes into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to have this ceremony this summer. I don't know what they're going to do up in Cooperstown this year. Uh, with Jeter going in, because how do you, if, if they're not having games with people in the stands in July, they certainly can't have 100,000 people in an open field uh, up in Cooperstown that weekend. So I'm interested to see what they do with the Hall of Fame. But I, 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 I mean, maybe Jeter would have come back at some point this year to have a to have a celebration of him going into the Hall of Fame like how Mariano did last summer. Um, but I, I still think we're a ways away from Jeter becoming a regular at, uh, at Old Timers Day. Pete, you spent a lot of time in a book, I'm sure, talking Yankee ownership. Not only the Larry David portrayal of George Steinbrenner, but what George Steinbrenner was as an icon in the 70s, taking over the team, winning the championships, the feuds with Billy Morton, the decade of futility in the 1980s for the franchise, and then his suspension and coming back, and, and everything that comes along with being George Steinbrenner. So... You know, it's fascinating to look at, you know, like if you grew up with the 90s Yankees like I did, you know, George was the guy who, yeah, was kind of this caricature. And, you know, you'd see him in commercials, you'd hear him with the missives and whatnot, but he wasn't this disruptive force. And just thinking about the overall like roller coaster ride that was Steinbrenner, I mean, you really got in many ways the ultimate highs, the ultimate lows, and then you know, the peaks and valleys that was basically his tenure of owning the team. I will say this about George Steinbrenner, um, and this this will tell you where I think uh, his place in Yankee history is. He's chapter three in my book, uh, behind only uh, Ruth and Gehrig. He's ahead of DiMaggio and Mantle. 
Um, I just felt like George was the Yankees for 35, almost 40 years. Um, you know, he was the face of the franchise more than all the players, more than Reggie and Catfish and Mattingly and, you know, Thurman Munson. He was, George was the face of the franchise. George was the guy who would get the Yankees on the back page. George was the thorn in the side of Major League Baseball. He was the guy who spent more money than anybody else. He had his issues um, with the suspensions. You know, he had the problem with Dave Winfield. Um, you know, so he, he, there were so many different kind of machinations. And then George ended up being, you know, into the 90s, he ended up being kind of the guy who gave ch second chances to, to New York icons like Gooden and Strawberry and kind of became this beloved figure, you know, towards the end of his tenure as the owner of the Yankees. It really kind of came full circle. So to me, George is, is right up there with the with the you know, the, the greatest of the greats in franchise history. He's, he's, you know, he's right in, in the, in the conversation for the Mount Rushmore of Yankee history. Pete, obviously with the passing of Hank Steinbrenner a couple of days ago, you know, it takes you back to 2007 when it looked like the Yankees were going to be the Bronx Zoo all over again. I mean, Hank's taking on A-Rod. He's taking on the Boston Red Sox. He's giving you the sort of back page fodder that we're all looking for. I mean, he would have made my life a heck of a lot easier if I were doing sports radio shows, but Hank doesn't end up taking over the team. How Steinbrenner ends up taking over the team. And um, now thinking about how, and basically a decade plus of him owning the team, are you surprised in all your years being around the Yankees, being around New York baseball, that the Yankees will run in like such a drastically different way? Now, they're spending boatloads of money. They still have that Yankee brand. But you mentioned the idea of George being like this, you know, face of the franchise in many ways. You're not going to get that from Hal Steinbrenner. So that contrast, when you think about it, like after the fact, really fascinating to see how that has unfolded. It really is. And, you know, I... I, I got to speak with Hal uh, for for a good amount of time for the book too and he's really an interesting guy uh, but he's definitely not George Hank was de Hal would be the first to say that Hank was much closer to George's temperament um, personality to uh, to to their father than than Hal ever could be and he you know he claims he says I'm gonna be me I, I'm not my dad and uh, no but not that anybody really is his dad um, but he's definitely more calculated and reserved and you know, Brian Cashman would be the first to tell you they have lengthy conversations before making moves and, you know, how plays out all the different scenarios where George was much more impulsive and, you know, would trade a guy at the drop of a hat or, you know, release somebody, fire Billy Martin five times. Um, you know, so that he was definitely much more impulsive and Hal is definitely, uh, definitely takes, takes his time and really kind of thinks things through. Uh, before making a move. And it's a really interesting dichotomy for anybody who lived through the George era. All right, Pete, final one. As now you kind of get a chance to, uh, you know, love your baby, if you know what I mean. Your book is out. It's done. It's finished. What was your favorite, favorite part, Larry David aside, uh, of being able to put together this piece of work? I really got to talk to a lot of interesting people. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to break a lot of new ground when it comes to Babe Ruth or DiMaggio or Derrick or some of the older names. Um, there aren't even many, even the Mantle era, there's not a ton of people left to, really to talk to who, who played with Mickey. Um, you know, so that part of it was kind of challenging, but I found it interesting. Like, I tried to interject some personal stories. Um, you know, my father, my father who passed away in 2018, he grew up in Brooklyn, um, and he was a big Dodger fan, but he worshipped DiMaggio, and I think that was this. I think you found that 
uh, with a lot of kind of, uh, you know, first and second generation Italian-American kids in New York City. Um, Chaz Palminteri kind of told me the same story for, for his forward. Um, so I wanted to kind of interject some personal stuff. Um, I, 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 tell, I tell a story in the DiMaggio chapter where I think it was Old Timers Day in 98. It might have been his last one because he passed away in 99. Um, I walked out of the clubhouse. I was the beat writer for the Daily News at the time. And I walked out of the clubhouse and Joe D was sitting by himself on a golf cart right across from the door. And I just, I introduced myself and I spoke to him for maybe three minutes. Um, and uh, it was just, it was one of those things where right after I spoke to him, I, I pulled out my clunky 90s era cell phone and called my dad and I said, yeah, you're not going to believe this one. And I told him, you know, I got to talk to DiMaggio for a couple of minutes and my dad was real happy about that. So those are the kind of stories that I tried to interject to give, kind of give a fresh spin on some of the older uh you know, legends of, of Yankee history. Another interesting one, um, I spoke to Matt Dahlgren, whose grandfather, Babe Dahlgren, was the first baseman who replaced Lou Gehrig when Gehrig finally had to come out of the lineup. And he also was standing next to Gehrig uh, during his famous speech in 1939. And um, uh, Matt Dahlgren wrote, uh, wrote a book about his uh, grandfather a couple of years back, but he said that just growing up, he just heard just countless stories about DiMaggio and Bill Dickey and and Gehrig and those Joe McCarthy and those 30s era Yankee teams and it was just kind of a really fun way to um, you know to be able to get into the the Gehrig chapter because like I said with some of these older guys there's not a lot of fresh information out there so it was those kind of those kind of things made the book real fun for me. Peter Body of the New York Post, the author of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Yankees. Pete, this was a lot of fun, but for anybody who is looking to pick up the book, you know, you're stuck at home, you need some reading material, this is going to be a lot of fun, I'm sure, if you're a Yankee fan to check out. Where can they find the book? Well, uh, normally I would say Amazon.com, but understandably Amazon uh, is saying that they'll, they'll, there probably will be some delays as they concentrate on uh, – you know, deliver, deliver essential medical supplies, et cetera. Um, but you can, uh, Barnes & Noble um, is certainly a, a place that you probably could get faster delivery of it, of it, depending on where you live. Some bookstores might hopefully be open within the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, there's always, you know, the independent bookstores, I always want to give them a shout out as well. Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say your best bet to get the book quicker would be uh, the Barnes & Noble website right now. Pete, congratulations. I can't wait to check it out. Great success. I really enjoyed this conversation. Stay safe, and hopefully I'll see you around SNY. I don't know, at some point in 2020. One can only help, right, my friend? Yeah, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll get back in there at some point. Um, JJ, you, uh, you stay safe, and uh, best to your family. There you have it. That's Peter Body, the author of The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Yankees. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. 
He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.